On today's episode of the I'm Fine podcast, we want to make sure that we thank our sponsors. Uh, Our first sponsor for today is Smart Local 265. Smart Local 265 is a sheet metal union based out of Carroll Stream, Illinois. Its membership consists of roughly 1,869 members, and with over 150 contractors providing work to over nine local counties, Local 265 specializes in all things HVAC. From commercial to residential, industrial to architectural, Smart Local 265 does it all. With their four-year apprenticeship program, Smart Local 265 trains some of the industry's most skilled HVAC mechanics in addition to doing volunteer work in their communities and donating to local charities like Project Headspace and Timing throughout the year. For more information on locating a qualified contractor or how to become a member of the Smart Local 265 family, please visit smart265.org. Kaz Cauliflower Pizza was started by United States Marine Corps Infantry Veteran Rob Slotten. Slotten was also a very close friend of mine. Uh, We served in the State Department together as medics and running out on teams. Uh, And after his time with the State Department, he was a U.S. Marshal for a number of years. Uh, But when when it finally came time for him to retire, uh, he started Kaz Cauliflower Pizza. He used a secret family recipe to create a delicious alternative to the carb-heavy options often found when enjoying your favorite slice. Homemade taste, handmade crust, and healthy enough that they've even began selling at GNC locations, juice bars, and restaurants all throughout Southern Florida. Uh, If you are interested in trying a cauliflower crust, please check out www.cas.com cauliflowerpizza.com and if you place an order make sure you add the words fine family before your name in the shipping address and you will receive one free pizza with your order www.cauliflowerpizza.com and lastly we want to thank our partner for this episode trio as adults we sometimes dream of continuing our education to advance our career but where do we even begin trio can help you take that first step The TRIO Educational Opportunity Center, located at Governor State University and serving those 19 and over in several local counties, specializes in GEDs, financial aid, scholarship and admissions applications, tutoring, career counseling, and more. TRIO is funded through the Department of Education, and all services are free to participants. Veterans are encouraged to apply. To learn more and apply, visit www.govst.com dot edu forward slash trio t-r-i-o e-o-c on today's episode of the i'm fine podcast we are going to talk about being freaked out insecure neurotic and emotional about anxiety anxiety comes in many forms and can display itself in a few different ways but it's one of the feelings that we feel like so many people have become more aware of especially in the past few years We're going to talk about some of the causes, symptoms, treatment options, and our own personal stories with our friend, Navy Corman, Ty Watson. Welcome to the I'm Fine Podcast with your freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional hosts, Eric Peterson and Brad Stozik. Thanks for being here, Ty. Yeah, of course. Really appreciate it, dude. Ty Watson, as we said, is a 14-year Navy corpsman, veteran, spent most of his time with the Marines, uh, but he can read. Uh, and that's what corpsmen, <laughs> corpsmen are like Marines, but they can read, I feel like, and they know how to make boo-boos go away. You're not even a little bit wrong. Nope. Um, and also, uh, after his time with the Marines, uh, he also has 
a an impressive TikTok following at uh, dot the underscore doc. Um, if you check him out, a lot of videos that are hilarious. Uh, and he's also a member of our of our fat family. Um, he came on board to help us out with the Spartan Shield team. So again, dude, I just uh, really appreciate you being here, man. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, so this episode is going to get released. Let me see here. Right around our one year anniversary. Yep. That's pretty impressive. That's not bad. Nope. We've been not. doing it for a year now, man. That's crazy. You feeling pretty good about that? Yeah, I feel a lot better than when we first started. Do you remember when we first started? I remember the first episode because talk about anxiety. <laughs> yeah. You were a little anxious. Oh, yeah. Have you listened to it? Yeah. How you sounded then? Yeah, I have. And how you sound now? It's about the same. Yeah, kind of. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you didn't say you're doing so much better, man. Um, I thought that I we I was surprised because I thought we talked about anxiety before, but we've talked about it as being like a piece of things like PTSD and shit like that. But we haven't actually talked about anxiety in and of itself. And I definitely think it's one of the things, especially following COVID, that like more people are aware of now more than ever before. Oh, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I wanted to start off by defining it uh, per the American Psychological Association. Anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have reoccurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry uh, they may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. Anxiety is not the same as fear, uh, but they're often used interchangeably. Anxiety is considered a future-oriented, long-acting response broadly focused on a diffuse threat, whereas fear is an, is an appropriate, present-oriented, and short-lived response to a clearly identifiable and, and specific threat. So I thought that was pretty important to like to think about because I think I confuse like anxiety and fear a lot. Do you, either of you guys have like what's your guys' experience with anxiety? Is that ever a problem for either one of you guys or, or not so much? I mean, sounds like my blood pressure every day. <laughs> yeah, well, you have two daughters also, right? <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah, bro. <clears throat> Welcome. Did I only have one? I can't even handle it. I don't know. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, what did you find for symptoms for anxiety, Brad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Mayo Clinic some of the says that some of the common symptoms for anxiety, um, feeling nervous, uh, restless, or tense, having a sense of um, impeding danger, panic, or doom, having an increased heart rate, Breathing rapidly or hyperventilation, sweating, um, trembling, feeling weak or tired, uh, trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry, um, having trouble sleeping, experiencing uh, gastrointestinal problems, having excuse me, having difficulty controlling worry, um, and finally having the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety. Yeah, I never really like. I, I've mentioned this book a few times on the podcast, but try by Sebastian Younger and in it, he talks about how in wartime environments and he's looking at like the Blitzkrieg in Europe and all this other shit, anxiety always goes down when people think it would go up. Like when you're in those high threat environments, people don't report feeling anxious. Like Ty, you were a medic, you were a corpsman. 
Big Did difference you? between medic and corpsman. Just Sorry. want to verify that. Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, oh my god. Are you people, corpsman. right? Yeah. You're right. a corpsman. And Brad throw crayons at you. <laughs> no. That's a waste of a snack, dude. Come on. I think that, okay, you were in, you said 14 years, right? Yeah. Yes. Did you see anxiety? Like, did Marines often complain about stuff like that? And if so, was it when they were in garrison in comparison to being deployed? Like, what did you see? You know what? To be honest, most of the things of the anxiety portion of it, at least from my experience, has been after we've gotten out. Right. I look back at it now and I'm going and I see the cool, calm and collected Marines. You know, you say I was with the Marines, you know, just to clarify, most of my time was spent with the grunts. Yeah. So, you know, you see yeah. a lot of what you would think a lot of the symptoms that we talked about already right. would be more apparent. But it wasn't. It it really wasn't. It was just, I don't know if they hit it well or if they just were like, well, it's just nothing. Right. But majority of it is seen afterwards at least in my opinion well i always felt like in being in like a combat zone and and dealing with that kind of chaos like i i don't know if it's a primal thing but it's you you don't feel anxious when you're doing that which you were trained to do like there might be a little bit of anxious anxiousness i suppose but it's it's not like the long-term type of anxiety you deal with when you actually get home you know what i'm saying like i never i never saw that kind of thing whenever i was overseas and whenever i was dealing with guys overseas all the issues that we had i've never had anybody complain of being anxious I mean, if you think about it like this like you know we the marine corps does the seven month deployments yeah army typically does a nine, year yeah right nine, nine to, to twelve nine yeah. to twelve so Working up to that point, you know, you're constantly training, you're in the field and the muscle memory of getting this done to accomplish a mission or accomplish a goal, we are trained just to, to constantly know what the next step is, whether we're got our eyes closed or we're missing a hand or whatever the case may be. Right. We know what the next step is when you remove those training situations and you put us in combat situations we've trained and done it for so long and practice it that it's muscle memory we just do it we go yeah there is no we're waiting for direction from whoever is leading us but in the most part it's just let's get up and go now when you get out who's telling you to get up and go right yeah and in it and also it's like with what you said, you're training for that oh shit moment. You're training for the firefights. You're training for things to go wrong. And so it's almost like when they do come up, you're like, okay, well, this is what I was training for. It's hard to be super surprised when you're dealing with that, which you have literally been training for for months and years or whatever. But then you get home and you're at the grocery store and then you're getting anxious. Like I would get anxious like my wife she called it out my wife noticed that i was getting anxious when we go grocery shopping with the girls because i have two toddlers and i'm applying the same type of shit that i was applying like overseas like analyzing for threats uh playing the what if game trying to think if this happens if that happens all this other stuff and i didn't realize like because that's what I was trained to do. You're trained to do that all the time. It becomes muscle memory. And now you get put, you get put into any situation, which in my opinion, that's why they talk about like veterans being in 
crowded spaces and stuff like that. It's not like I have a problem being in crowded spaces per se. I do shit for a nonprofit all the time. I'm constantly talking to people and doing other stuff. Uh, I had, I did that commencement speech at KCC recently in front of like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people that didn't bother me because I had a mission because I had a goal. Like I'm here to do this job. I can do this job. But when I'm in a situation and I don't necessarily have a goal, like I'm just hanging out with a and, and I know that I have something I'm responsible for, like my kids or something, that's where I start to get anxious because I start to like roll through all that shit in my head. You know what I mean? Like, do you ever, Brad, do you ever get anxious? Oh, uh, dude, all the time. Um, I, I think I get anxious the most when we go places and I can't find my kids. Yeah. So when there's like a lot of kids around yeah. and I can't pick out which ones are mine. Yeah. That That's pretty bad. Actually, oh, when we go anywhere. Like I've, I've had to tell Amanda, like, dude, stop giving me the responsibility of watching the kids. And yeah. I'm like, I'm going to stop asking. But every five minutes, I'm like, are the kids okay? Where are they at? Did you have any issues <clears throat> with anxiety before the visual impairment shit? Um, I mean, minor, nothing like too crazy. Yeah. No. After you got out of the Marines and everything, everything was still fine. Yeah. Not so right. much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I found that there were a lot of different types of anxiety disorders uh, these ones are the ones that are listed in the dsm-5 um, so like we've, we've mentioned before referenced before the dsm-5 is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders so i'm going to run through the ones that are listed in here and there are 11. so the first one is agoraphobia uh, agoraphobia is a type of anxiety disorder in which you fear and often avoid places or situations that might cause you to panic might make you feel trapped helpless or embarrassed uh second one anxiety due to a medical condition so symptoms of intense anxiety or panic that are directly caused by some sort of health problem like yeah uh, what you mentioned earlier right there now yeah. those first two that you just talked about yep. you know i'm gonna use a marine corps term here called bamsis you, yep. <laughs> you know when it comes to tactical planning right yep you know so when we talk about going to the grocery store or going to a park we don't have a plan other than we're going to drive there. Right. Mm -hmm. So whereas when we're doing these tactical operations, we have a plan, we have a map, we have a mission. Everything is from A to Z is pointed out. And so our brains are trained to constantly do that. Right. So now you get put into a position where if we're going to Oktoberfest in Mantino. Right. You know, for the most part, most of us know where the streets are at, and but we can't predict what people are going to be there. Right. How many people are going to be there? What types of things are going to be going on? You know, it's kind of a guessing game, but I don't know how many people are going to use, you know, tactical operations planning to go to an Oktoberfest. Well, to your point, and I don't think, were you, did we know each other last year at Oktoberfest? Or did I meet you since then? Uh, this last one last year? I yeah. think we knew each other. Did you come out for security on that? No. Okay. So... I help at Oktoberfest run security and like after all the stuff overseas and stuff, I've helped run security at like small concerts and small venues and nothing crazy at Oktoberfest with the heavy, with the heavy police presence. We've never had really many issues at all. So the security ends up being just a show of force. Right. And so like last year I ran security for Oktoberfest. So I had a bunch of people from from project headspace and timing and we all went out there and and i had to obviously give everybody a brief like we would overseas plan for the worst case where are we gonna like talk about the things that we don't want to talk about but that need to be discussed what do we do if there's a shooter what do we do if there's a mass cal incident where are we gonna go who's got a bug out bag and we had to address all of those things because 
it makes me feel more comfortable and it eases my anxiety because I know that there's a plan. And everybody else, John Haberkamp with Guardian Concepts, he was, you know, he he was one of our security guys. And same thing, we were all on the same page. We all needed that. And and once we had our SOPs in place, like it was a super easy day. Like everybody was good. The whole mentality changes right there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. <clears throat> changes as far as you went from I'm just gonna be a participant and going to hang out with my wife and kids to now I'm in control of something. Yeah, the control is probably a big part of that, isn't it? You feel like you have control because there's that plan. And everything, instead of constantly, you know, looking to your left and right, checking your six, yeah, because you are with your family, instead you're protecting families. Right. And that, again, that, that just all changes your entire mentality. Yeah. And, and you also know that you're not alone in, in like in that instant instance because there were many of us that were working together and so we all knew what the plan was and i think that was really beneficial just to know that do you also get that sense of purpose again oh yeah that, you think that's part of it definitely oh yeah. absolutely yeah. that's yeah, yeah. part of it absolutely it is feeling like you are the protector yeah. not only is that important in my opinion as a man uh as a man that has a family as a veteran, as all of those things put together, and now you're in a public place. Like we celebrate veterans as we should, but you you we look at veterans as being the protectors, yeah. right? Yeah. Protectors of freedom, the American way, whatever you want to say it. And so it's like you're so used to how you carried yourself over there. And again, how do you how do you shut that shit off? Yeah. They don't tell you how to shut that shit off. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just have to kind of figure it out in therapy or wait until your wife yells at you because you Every time you go into Aldi, like you get super uptight because there's so many people in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're constantly scanning, trying to see where your kids are at. And the second one of your kids gets out of your vision for a second, you start freaking out or, yeah. or whatever. You know, you get super fucking tense. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a problem. I think that gives me anxiety. Um, I never deployed or was in a combat situation, but I feel like civilians think I've experienced that because the term veteran. Yeah, but it makes it so much more difficult because nobody expects me to be like the alpha leader because I'm visually impaired, right? No one ever comes to me first to be like, "Oh, hey, lead this team." More I, like, "Oh, dude, you're probably a liability. You should probably." Well, I think that that also adds another layer to being a veteran and causing anxiety is that people that think that because you're a veteran, it's one that we all went through the same experience. And yeah. it's like, no, man, like everybody had a very different experience. There's a very small percentage of veterans that saw combat, a very small percentage. There's an even smaller percentage of veterans that pulled the trigger. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? But I mean, you hear the term veteran, everybody's like, oh, you must've been with fucking Jocko Willink and, and David Goggins. And they're like, no, man, I was infantry. I was a red shirt. I was a grunt just doing security. Like that was my fucking job. But when you ask somebody that might not have been in the combat MOS role, yeah, it's almost like, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome, maybe a little bit, but yeah. it's like you feel like you didn't do, and we've talked about this in that peer support group. Yeah, It's like non-combat MOS people, veterans, think that they didn't serve because they didn't see combat. You know what I mean? That's bullshit. Yeah. You know, and then I know combat guys that think they don't deserve the combat side because they didn't pull the trigger. And it's like, well, dude, you know what I mean? Like we didn't get, nobody got to choose what the fuck happened to them. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like we were in it, you did your job. That should be good enough. I mean, I, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I had, I was with two grunt units. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, I was at 2-3 in Hawaii when the initial push for Iraq and Afghanistan went off, but we were still, our AO operations was still the Southeast Asia area. You know, it wasn't until a couple of years after that before they started using our units to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. So I didn't eat three years I spent with those grunt units and I didn't see any type of combat in that situation. I went to Chicago up at Great Lakes, volunteered to go to Iraq. I ended up with second lad. What is low altitude air defense going to do in Iraq? We oh, did, shit. We did, we did security. And, yeah. You know, Al-Assad, you know, Camp Cupcake is a lot of people call it. You're right. In my second tour, I was part of uh, 3-9, another grunt unit. We're out in 29 Palms <clears throat> doing CACs, and our company commander comes up to us and was like, hey, congratulations, we're going to be home before Halloween. We did a three-month stint in Iraq, Al-Assad again, mm-hmm. because the army was taken over, and they didn't want to leave the Marines there any longer than... They needed to. So we were there for three months. Again, that was just the way the cards fell. Right. But, you know, I mean, like as a guy that's been with the grunts the majority of his life and has only seen, you know, two tours to Iraq and neither of them were combat related. Mm -hmm. You know, that took me a long time to get over that shit. Right. And it's not fair because, like you said, you didn't choose it. Just fucking happy. You did your job. You I mean, I was, you were assigned. I was in Great Lakes. Yeah. You know, and we had a bunch of guys that came back from a previous deployment. And unfortunately, one of our corpsmen didn't come home. But they were asking for volunteers who wants to go to Iraq. And I'm like, get me out of here. Yeah. You yeah, know, I yeah. couldn't stand this. You know, the, the blue side. I just wasn't mentally mature enough to be in a clinic or a hospital setting yet. And I'd rather go take my chances over there. Yeah. Than have to, to take my chances, you know, being at home. Yeah, but I didn't get the opportunity. I mean, I didn't do anything. Right. I tell everybody all the time how fortunate I have been to not have to have shot at anybody, get shot at. You know, did I have issues during that time period? Absolutely. But the I was so fortunate, and I will continue to say that. You know, it was. You know, we talk about the anxiety side of things when you get with a group of guys that all saw a bunch of stuff, and they're all talking about it, and you're just that dude that sits in there and you know being quiet. You know. There was a long time that social media, you know, if you didn't have that combat action ribbon, you know, people called you out on it. Right. You know, and that I think that was, um, you know, like the anxiety that was pressured from your peers that, right. you know, who the things that we talk about now aren't things that we talked about seven, eight years ago. Right. You know, I mean, Very it, true. It, it's changed. Even, you know, active duty and veteran mentalities have changed since then because of it, because they, you know, un- unfortunate you know, they use the 22 a day statistic, but you know, and that's, that's part of it. You know, I mean, I think some of that anxiety comes from our peers and within ourselves because we didn't do that stuff. Well, I think, and, and those are excellent points. I think that we're trying to validate our service. Yep. And, and so it's like, how do you validate your service? Well, I, I got a CIB. So I don't know. What do they call it in the Marines? Like what's your combat badge called? It's is a there? combat action ribbon. Combat action yeah. ribbon. A car. Okay. A car, yeah. Okay. yeah. So in Army, you have the combat infantry badge. That means you were an infantry grunt and you were in combat. And then if you are uh, not in the infantry, you get a CAB, a combat action badge. I think it's what it's called or some shit. But I think that we try to like marginalize the entire service of somebody by just thinking, okay, you like, I heard all the time when I got back from my first appointment, did you, did you kill anybody? And I did, we would get in firefights, but they, were, they weren't they were like the movie ones. 
they weren't I was in no sustained firefights. All of our firefights were very short in nature, like a few minutes long at most. I hit an IED on the 4th of fucking July, but we were okay. We were in an MRAP and it was small. It wasn't a huge one. Um, there were secondary set up. Those MRAPs sucked. I hated those things. I, uh, I disagree. So I was... Protecting us, yes. But yes. I, just in general... Maneuvering. Like I, yeah, those things. Oh my God. Horrible. Not made for Afghanistan. No, they are not. I drove one in Afghanistan. That's where I learned how to drive it. And I don't think they were made for fucking Afghanistan. But we lost... Not my company. Delta Company lost four guys the week before us in a Humvee because they hit a pressure plate. And then we got MRAPs. And then a little bit later we hit an IED and I was in an MRAP and everybody was okay. The gunner popped his eardrums. That was it. But when I got home, I never pulled the trigger. I was in the turret and we were getting shot at and my sector of fire was in front of the convoy and we were getting shot at from behind. And I kept asking my platoon sergeant, like, can I, can I traverse? Can I, can I engage? Can I engage? And my platoon sergeant's like, keep your sector of fire. I'm like, and I'm sitting there holding on. Like, <laughs> like, I'm just like looking back, like all my friends are getting to have fun. And I'm over here like an asshole, just like looking at the fucking mountain. So I never got to pull the trigger. And, and again, I'm thankful for that, but I dealt with those same, like, I didn't feel like I did enough to earn my CIB because I didn't pull a trigger. I didn't do any of that cool house to house shit. Like I was always security all the time. And it didn't help that when I got back, and I was becoming a paramedic. I met this dude from the Navy who was in World War II, and he was on a submarine. And I was at the veterans' home talking to him, and we brought him to the hospital. And I'm talking to him in the hospital, and we start bullshitting because we're both veterans. And he's just like, "Do you ever see any of those IEDs?" And I was like, "Matter of fact, I did." And I start <laughs> like, I, and I, I share my little fucking story. And like I said, everything was fine. It wasn't a big deal. Everybody was okay. And he's like, oh, that's crazy. And then he goes on to tell me this story about how he was in a submarine that like went down and like 700 sailors went in the water and 400 came out. And he's telling me that story. I'm like, fuck me. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just going to go sit here. You know what I mean? Like, I know it wasn't a dick measuring contest, but I was just like, bro, you're way fucking cooler than me. You got yeah. way cooler stories. I'm sorry. But. I feel like you always feel like you have to validate yourself somehow. Dude, I do that. You didn't service. I do that on a daily basis. With what? Uh, validating. Like, what? It, like, I'm like, do I even count? I'm like, I, was, yeah. I, I always call myself a glorified lunch lady. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? With what shoot in the Marines? Yeah, dude. I was a cook. Like, that's that's all I did. Like, yeah, I went from chow hall to chow hall. If it wasn't for you, everybody would just be eating MREs all the fucking time. In the field, yeah. But in Garrison, there was like Taco Bell and like all those other places. And then I, I heard... Like they would come into the chow hall and be like, "Oh, dude, I'm going to like Charlie's or whatever that sub place." Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It didn't feel. It didn't feel very yeah, Call of Duty esque, if you will. Because you're like, "This is my job," and and uh, and people don't appreciate it. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. gotta be fucking frustrating too. But you still did your fucking job, dude. I tell you what, I can make some good potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> you learn something. You know. It, Thank it, you for your service. You talk about you know as you know as a cook. You know like the the things that. You didn't feel like you were a part of it. You know, I, <clears throat> it was maybe four days ago, a guy that I was stationed with in Hawaii, he was a cook. You know, he gave me a call on, you know, Facebook or FaceTime or whatever, you know, the Facebook video and him and I BS for about an hour, you know, and I hadn't talked to him in probably shit, 12 years, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just, it was like right back to where we were. Yep. But, you know, that friendship and that bond that I had with him. Is something that you can't replace. So no. something that, you know, I understand where you're coming from as far as, you know, you didn't feel like you provided to everybody, but someone out there 
feels feels that because you created that bond with them, whoever it is. Because yeah. I know you still have friends that you talk to that are in, or even after they got out. And that's a bond. You know, we talk about the corpsman and marine bond that can't be broken. Yeah. I can walk up to a stranger who's a marine and tell him I'm a corpsman. He'll buy me beers for the rest of the night. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. You know, but a marine and a marine, they had that that bond is even stronger in yeah. my eyes yeah. because you guys, you know, that you stepped on the yellow footprints and you went through, you know, whatever it is you went through in boot camp. That's something that is not replaceable, you know, and it it, it needs to be valued more, and, yeah. you know, by not just us here, but by everybody. Yeah, I think it's like levels of respect almost. And and I definitely saw one instance where that was the case where you and I, Ty and I responded to a Marine that was at a local hospital that needed some help. And so we, we went, I got the call through our Spartan Shield program and I hit up Ty and I'm like, Hey Ty, can you run with me on this? And Ty's like, yeah, absolutely. We get out there, young Marine dealing with some stuff and Ty gets in there. And, and the first thing you said was like, Hey, you know, I was a corpsman, 14 fucking years, blah, 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 blah. And immediately like you looked at the Marines face and he was at ease. He was comfortable. Absolutely. Compared Completely to when we first walked in there. Yeah. Yes. And establishing that level of trust and respect, like you said, it's really hard to do outside of that. But the, there's so many layers where it's like, okay, we, we both, I know you served, I served, there's a layer of respect there. Okay, we were both in the same branch, another layer of respect. Like, I think it keeps going because I almost, so a buddy of mine almost got into a fight at a bar once and he shouldered this dude who was a big dude uh, because my buddy was drunk and is a dumbass. Okay. So he shouldered. Was he a Marine? <laughs> So no, the guy that he shouldered was a Marine. Oh, uh. <laughs> so he shoulders this dude and they, they get into like a little bit of a pissing match. And my buddy does what he does when this happens. He comes and he finds me and he gets behind me because I'm just bigger than he is. I'm like, thanks, dude. So I get in this dude's face because I know that he's giving my buddy shit, even though it's his fault. And then me and this this bigger dude start talking shit to each other. Right. And we're just getting into each other's face. I was like in my early mid 20s. And I saw that he had a tattoo of Afghanistan on his forearm. And I was like, where were you? And he told me. And I was like, what branch? And he said, Marines. And I said, were you in 0311? And he goes, yep. And I was like, I was 11 Bravo. Immediately. Because he was a grunt and I was a grunt. Different branches, both grunts. Shit was done. Yep. And I wasn't far from where he was deployed. It was like different years. But like he was like in Southern, I think it was in Helmand or something. And I was in RC East, but like immediately we went to the bar, the argument was done and we both were buying each other beers and shit was done because that's a respect that you can't get anywhere else. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, okay. So back to what I was talking about, the, uh, other types of anxiety disorders. So like I said, we have agoraphobia, anxiety due to medical conditions. Uh, popular one is generalized anxiety disorder uh, or GAD, which includes persistent and excessive anxiety and worry about activities or events. Uh, even ordinary routine issues, the worry is out of proportion to the actual circumstance and is difficult to control how it affects how you feel physically. Uh, and it often occurs along with other anxiety disorders or depression. So like we were talking about earlier, like going to the grocery store and get super anxious about being in the grocery store to do something that's normal and routine. Uh, panic disorder is the next one involves repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reach a peak within minutes, like panic attacks. Uh, you might have feelings of impending doom, 
shortness of breath, chest pain, rapid fluttering, pounding heartbeats or heart palpitations. And these panic attacks may lead to worrying about them happening again or avoiding situations in which they've occurred. Select mutism. Uh, that's a consistent failure of children to speak in certain situations, such as school, even when they can speak in other situations, such as home uh, or with close family members, and that can interfere with, interfere with school work and social functioning. Separation anxiety disorder. That's a childhood disorder characterized by child uh, by anxiety that's excessive for the child's developmental level and related to separation from parents or others who have parental roles. Specific phobias is the next. Uh, those are characterized by major anxiety when you're exposed to a specific object or situation and desire to avoid it. Phobias provoke panic attacks in some people. Social anxiety, uh, that involves high levels of anxiety, fear, and avoidance of social situations due to feelings of embarrassment, self-consciousness, and concern about being judged or viewed negatively by others. Substance abuse, or excuse me, substance-induced anxiety disorder, characterized by symptoms of intense anxiety or panic that are a direct result of misusing drugs, taking medications, being exposed to a toxic substance, or withdrawal from drugs. And then other speci uh, specified anxiety disorders, which would be from something else other than what I already mentioned, and unspecified anxiety disorders, uh, ones that cannot be defined. So those are the ones that are listed in the DSM-5. Um, I personally have the most experience with social anxiety disorders. Like I was diagnosed uh, having social anxiety by my therapist or my psychologist or whatever you want to call her um, because I was doing what we talked about earlier. Like when I was going into situations, I was just wargaming it way too much and so much to the point where I was thinking about the conversations that I was going to be having with people and I was getting stressed out about what I would have to say. Like at one point I had three gym memberships because I would go to a gym and if somebody would talk like some of the gyms I go to there, I've been going there for so long that people will talk to me when I'm there and that if people would talk to me, that was giving me so much anxiety knowing that that was going to happen, that if I pulled up into a gym and there were a bunch of cars in the lot, I would go to another, I would go to one of the other gyms. So like, it was like impacting my life to the point where I wasn't doing things because I was just afraid of something as small as like how a conversation could go. And then I would have po what I call post-event anxiety, which is like where I feel like I might have sounded like an asshole in a certain situation. And now I'm ruminating over it. And I'm like, oh man, I just ran into this person at the grocery store. This is what I said to them. They probably think I'm a huge asshole and blah, blah, blah. And it, my therapist was just kind of like, one, no, they probably don't because they probably already forgot about it. And two, worst case scenario, somebody just kind of thinks you were mean for a second. That's not a really big deal. But like I dealt with social anxiety. I still deal with social anxiety and I would try to medicate with marijuana. But like I said, weed just made me too paranoid. Like it was too much for me. So, I mean, that's like the substance induced anxiety disorder. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Double but, dipping on that one. <laughs> I'll do a little double dipping there. Uh, but what about you guys? Do, do any of those jump out at you guys as far as like anything that you've dealt with or seen permanently? Just, just the phobias. What are your phobias? Spiders, fish, and clowns. Fish? Like live fish. Like, like I, I can't, I can't touch them. I can't. You eat, we've eaten sushi together. Oh, I know it. But it's not live. That's true. <laughs> you don't like any fish? 
Like nope. a live fish, like a goldfish? None. No shit. I, I touched a stingray once on my honeymoon, but that was pushing it. Should have fucking punched it for taking out our boy, <laughs> Steve Irwin. But other than that, I didn't know that you were afraid of fish. Yeah. And spiders and clowns. Spiders, big time spiders. Clowns, clowns are just kind of here or there. Like I just get kind of like tense when there's like around, you know? I think that's everybody. Clowns yeah. cannot not be creepy. They're always creepy. Yes. They're always fucking creepy. That's true. But that's not too bad. Other than that, you never really dealt with anything else as far as like uh, social anxiety or anything like that. It's always been pretty much phobia uh, stuff. Phobia. Uh, I already forgot what it's something I once you said, but panicking, panic attacks, um, general anxiety disorder. I think when I first lost my vision driving, I would have small panic. Uh, you mean when you were driving? No, 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 no. Like when driving? I was like being a passenger. Okay. Because one, I don't have depth perce- depth perception anymore. Right. So like when when I feel like people should be braking, they're not, and it yeah, just yeah. like so I'm pretty tense when I drive with people. No, I could definitely see that. Yeah. I was gonna say if you were driving the car, I could also see <laughs> how you would be slightly anxious because you're like motherfucker. I don't know where I'm well, going. Well, dude, I held my stick out the window. <laughs> And I, tr- I tried. Just really fast, just waving it back and forth really fast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't work. Uh, okay. And then let's see here. So as far as like why we get anxious, yeah. we've already kind of talked about it before as far as why we feel like veterans do mm-hmm. uh, and in the veteran space. But I mean, what else, why else do you think we get anxious now? Especially because like I said, I oh I looked at tribe and and Sebastian Younger looked at all these times across history where you were in a situation where you should be anxious mm-hmm. but you're not like Ty was saying earlier you're just not whether it's because you train for it or even in situations like the Blitzkrieg the Blitzkrieg was such an interesting one because these people are living and getting bombed every day. And then afterwards, they're talking about how they look back at those moments as some of the best moments of their lives. And they were never anxious during those moments. And people that had anxiety issues before the war, before the Great War, were reported to be to have jobs like driving uh, ambulances and stuff in the war, stuff that you wouldn't assume a super anxious person would do. So I just kind of feel like being anxious is almost a product of the society we've built and how much it's taken away from us. You know what I'm saying? But I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, you know, when, when we first, you know, when, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan really kicked off, you know, they had, they had no plans for us afterwards right. when we came home, yeah. death by PowerPoint. That's what we did when we came back. This is how we're taking care of your, well, this is how we're going to prevent your PTSD is the, the death by PowerPoints. And it's evolved since then, you know right. I mean? And, after that, it was a questionnaire that we had to do that everybody had to do on a computer or whatever. And, you know, it's changed. You know, <clears throat> you're still, let's say you get an active duty guy that went to Afghanistan and Iraq and was full all in in combat situations. And then he comes home and we're having problems. Well, you know, I think a lot of that ties to the fact that who's around him. Right. You know, you know, there's when you're in country, you know, or you're in training or whatever the case may be. You got, you know, your squad or your company or, you know, whatever else surrounding you. Everybody's going through that somehow. But when you're weak, there's somebody there to either pick up the weakness or beat it out of you or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. and help you find your strength again. Right. How do you talk about that to 
your spouse who has absolutely no idea. Right. You know, and that's for those active guys. Now you get the veterans who are out and they no longer have that support system. Their spouses may have an idea now of what they went through because we were able to talk about it. But the guys that we were supposed to talk about it every day when something came up are no longer there. Right. You know, and for whatever reason, veterans are afraid to just pick up that phone and, you know, reach out and call somebody. Because we weren't taught to do that. Nope. Because we were constantly in each other's faces. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was no need to reach out and call. Right. Yep. And I think that that will increase anybody's anxiety. Oh, yeah. You're also taught to take care of other people before yourself, too. Oh, yeah. So, now, especially if any, if you're in any sort of leadership role, mm -hmm. like leaders, leaders eat last. Yep. Like you take care of everybody else before yourself. Yep. You know what I mean? But also, too, when you're looked at, if you've been the strong person, we've talked about this before, but if you've been the strong person in any relationship for so long, people just assume that you're that person all the time. And then you're not allowed to have that moment. Where it's like, okay, I need to talk about something. I'm not doing great. I can feel myself teetering. And if I'm coming to you now because I have a problem, uh, I probably had a problem for a little while. It's just, it's to the point now where I know I got to talk about it because I can't handle it on my own. And usually I can handle it on my own. And that's what I've been doing, just suppressing and suppressing and suppressing. But now I finally, and I probably have anxiety just because I have to talk about this shit. Yep. You know, I got to talk to somebody about this. So that gives me anxiety. And then I finally try to scratch the surface of it. And if the person that I'm reaching out to doesn't understand and they're not willing to, bro, I'm just going to shut down forever. I'm just never going to talk about it again then. You know what I mean? I'm just going to try to handle it on my own. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely think, I don't know from a, and we've talked about from like a demob perspective or or ETSing or I don't what the what do the Marines call it when you get out? Oh, EAS? EAS. EAS, okay. EAS, ETS, whatever. Like just remember I, that the Navy calls that too. Same thing. EAS. EAS. Yeah, because you know, the Marine Corps Department of the Navy. Just in case anybody didn't know that or needed to be reminded. Where's the Space Force at? <laughs> Is that part of the Air Force? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm gonna assume that it's part of the Air Force. I think that for my Marines that are going to be listening, that's the only reason why I wanted to point that out. <laughs> Come on, man. We knew that. <laughs> I think that I think when you demobe or you get out or whatever, I think that what part of it needs to be is you need to spend some time with some other veterans. I've said this before. Like, I think like, let's say you're getting out or demobing or whatever, I think there needs to be some immediate family time. Cause I look at when I demobed, when I demobed, I had doctors that I had to meet with and I had to tell them everything. And I knew that if I told you everything that I was dealing with, I was going to have to fucking sit here while my unit gets out and everybody gets to see their families. And I'm stuck here talking to some fucking doctor. Right. So I'm going to say whatever I got to say to get the hell out of here. So I can go see my family. So I feel like you got to go see your family, do whatever first. But after that, I think the most beneficial thing is if you could just be with some other veterans who have been out for maybe a couple of years and just go fuck off into the woods, like go into the woods, no PowerPoints. You go hiking, kayaking, fishing, mountain biking, sit around a fire, you know, make food together, bullshit, have these veterans talk to you. Hey, this is what I dealt with. This is what I saw. This is what I went through. Well, you know see, what I mean? Well, the, 
the military tries to give this that. I don't know what the army calls it, but I'm pretty sure it was a TAPS class is what it's called. TAPS. Oh, right. Transitional so, yeah. assistant. So by yeah. far one of the worst military programs I've ever been involved with. What was that like? I didn't go through it. You it, didn't go through TAPS? No. Oh, it's oh. horrible. I actually went twice just because I wanted to get out of work before I got out. Oh, yeah. You poor bastard. Yeah. But <laughs> so the wait, second time that? around. Yeah. What's that? They did all that shit? No. That's my. So that was, that's what I'm getting to is okay. that the TAPS class is trying to prepare you to get out. Yeah. But it doesn't prepare you for anything. Right. You know, but where we could improve something like that in that program is bring in veterans that have been out for a while. Yeah. You know, because my my first question would be to any, you know, military member, whether they want to get out or they're getting forced out is what are your plans for afterwards? Yep. Do you have college lined up? Do you have a job lined up? Yeah. If you don't have either of those ready to go when you get out, then you're not ready to get out. Right. And the reason why I say that is it's going to cause more problems in the end. When I when I got out, you know, I got out in 2015. I got out higher tenure. The Navy, you got to take tests. You don't pass the test. You don't get promoted. You know, so I wasn't ready to get out. I got out in June or July of 2015. Yeah. But I went right back into the civilian workforce by August 3rd of the same year. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have time to decompress from the military. Right. I worked for a, a company for almost six years, I think it was, mm -hmm. before I switched to another job and my wife became a nurse. And it was at that time where our, the op tempo, if you want to use that term, was completely slowed down. Yeah. You know, I went from a fast run to a slow crawl. Right. And at that time, that's when all those things that I had not addressed started coming to the surface. Yeah. And that's when a lot of problems started happening. Yeah. And I think that if we can get ahead of that, that would help a lot with the anxiety issues that, you know, sometimes I believe they're self-induced. Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. But I also think part of the problem, though, is when you try to talk to somebody that's currently serving, it's not arrogance. But it's a confidence in your support system, I feel like. Because I've talked to plenty of guys that are still serving. I'm like, yo, before you get out, like, let's sit down, let's talk. I just want you to know this is what's out there. This is what you need to get taken care of before you get out. Like, this is where this is what you need to do to make sure you set yourself up and your family up for the smoothest transition possible. And a lot of the times I feel like it kind of falls on deaf ears a bit. I feel like they don't understand it the same way that I would have listened to that TAPS class or anything like that. You're just like, all right. And I don't know if that's just because you're so used to having that support system. You don't know what it's like to not have it until you don't have it anymore. Then you're like, no, okay, I'm on my own. Who do I call for help with stuff? Like you before you would ask your team leader, your squad leader, platoon sergeant, whoever. Like now, you, who do you ask? You fucking Google it. You what, know about, what I'm saying? What about healthcare? I still call my mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Tricare. I mean, right? Have fun you, unfucking that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, like you used to be able to go to, you know, if I'm stuck in anywhere from not where my where I'm stationed at, I can go any hospital and hand in my Tricare card and as an active duty member and not have to worry about paying anything. Right. Like, now you get out, you can't do that. You can't do that shit anymore. Nope. But you don't, you take stuff like that for granted. Right. Yes. Until you're like looking at, you know, you're, you go, I was very fortunate. I got lucky. I landed a job that had, you know, great benefits, 
you know, health insurance coverage for my kids and for my wife and for myself. You know, it was like, it was very, I, how many veterans do you know who got out and within three weeks had a full-time job? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you know, and with full benefits and coverage and all that stuff, you know, so, but that type of stuff, you know, you don't, you don't think about, you know, no. I was, let's see how old I was, I was 30 something when I 35, 34 when I got out. Yeah. You know, it's sad, you know, but you know, I didn't, I wasn't. I wasn't saying, I don't want to say I wasn't worried about my family, but the worries were not stuff like that. Because you know that they always were, they always had the assistance and support too, because you were in, mm-hmm. you didn't need to worry about your family like you have to when you're out. Right. Yeah. I totally understand that. I think that's a good point too. But I mean, yeah, I just. Uh, Which just, you know, continues to push down on now I'm worrying. Right. And it mm-hmm. increases that anxiety. And I'm not talking about just non-combative type anxiety or you know or whatever it is that you have your anxiety from i mean that alone could throw people into a deep dark place without having you know an outlet to go to absolutely and that's why i think it would be so beneficial to have veterans link up with these guys who are transitioning out and to just go hang out in the woods i don't know what it is but just listen i mean if you were in the military to any degree you spent some time doing some fucking some uh overnight missions or whatever training staying out in the woods it just feels good to be out there it feels good to sit around a fire and to just share a meal with your brothers your sisters your whoever and i think that by doing that stuff over time it would lead to those productive conversations where maybe they would understand maybe they would get okay i understand what these guys are trying to tell me because like i said before with our troops on trails program um we, we did that. We had eight veterans all together. Some were combat. I think most were combat, I think. Uh, but either, I mean, they, we had guys that they didn't know each other. They had issues. Some of them had issues. Um, and we all got together. We sat around this fire and the plan was to have breakfast uh, around a fire. We had a, a Blackstone grill from a friend of ours. Uh, it was his land. And we were going to make breakfast, get in the boats or stage the kayaks, kayak for four hours and have lunch. We're sitting around the fire at breakfast and immediately people started talking. We started talking to each other, like, where'd you serve? Where were you at? Blah, blah, blah. And then guys started like just kind of talking about some shit. And I looked at Nick, one of our board members and who runs troops on trails because we were both there. And I looked at him and I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I didn't think these types of conversations would happen organically and that quickly. But it's like some of these guys were just at the brim. They were ready. They were done with shit and they didn't know who they could talk to. You could see the anxiety. You could see it all in their fucking face. But they just wanted to be around some other people that understood and weren't going to judge them. And that was a place to do it. So I feel like if you create that for people that are getting out, uh, service members that are getting out, you know, and and they know they're not going to be judged and they know that it's okay and that they're going to be supported. I think that's the best shot we have at trying to be preventative at getting ahead of some of this shit. You know what I mean? Yep. But Brad, what did you find for the causes of anxiety? Yeah. So there's no definite cause for anxiety. It's all situational, right? So right. like traumatic events or things like that, but there's no link. Or so that would be the link, but there's no specific like, hey, this is what causes anxiety. Yeah. No, but there is like the medical side, right? If you smoke, if you, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah. So like smoking and so like 
um, heart disease, uh, diabetes, things like that. The underlying conditions can just ramp up the possibility of you being anxious. Yep. What's our diet like after getting out generally? And I mean, I was in Iraq and we had the, you know, the energy drinks. Ribbits. Ribbits. Oh, I want them to be a sponsor for us so bad. I'd be so happy. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. I golfed with their CEO once. That's awesome. That's That's so badass. But you know, I mean, like we live on cigarettes and caffeine. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I lived on chewing tobacco, but. No, I wasn't deployed though, but yeah, chewing tobacco was my. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. I, oh, mean, yeah. I mean, regardless where you're at, that's what we lived off of. Yeah, caffeine and nicotine. But then you stop and you, I, for me anyway, I quit chewing and then I was like, food <laughs> and just inhaled everything. Well, not only that, but like usually the bases I, I was at had healthy meals. So it was like I would go in, there'd be boneless, skinless chicken breasts, there'd be broccoli, there'd be rice. And I was like, okay, I'd just go in there and you I would get that. You actually ate that? Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> For a long time, I was the burgers and fries guy, dude. I just I gain weight so easy and so fast. Like I have to at least sort of try to eat sort of clean sometimes, but like when and I was never at a bigger base that had like the McDonald's and shit, like Bagram, and there was a couple other big like I think I don't know if Jaff Jalalabad Air based it or not, but like I. Eating was, it was easier to eat healthy, not only because the food was provided, thanks bread, and, but also because other guys were going to give you shit. Yeah. If yeah. you start falling behind in PT or whatever, like you're going to get fucked with too. So then you get out and there's nobody to really hold you accountable so much. There's nobody to, to have the meals prepared for you. You got to do everything on your own to include buying it all, preparing it all, uh, all that meal prep shit and it's hard to hold yourself accountable sometimes too yep you know what i mean uh but i found so a couple of risk factors uh that would go side by side with with causes were the only two the two that i found were trauma and stress like no shit so everybody <laughs> that made it through covid congratulations like we all have anxiety you know what i mean and i i've, I've talked to younger like i think i, I mentioned before i talked to my the babysitter of, for my daughters once and I was bringing her home and she was a sophomore during COVID and I just asked her how it felt going back and she told me that she felt like she had a lot of anxiety going back because she was so used to doing the virtual thing for a while and at that age you're just figuring your shit out as it is right you're already nervous to be in, in front of other people but it's like I feel like part of the reason why we're so much more aware of it now is because it was kind of like anxiety if you didn't already have it post COVID. Now I feel like everybody's dealing with something when it comes to trauma and stress, like, holy shit. If you have kids and you're married, congratulations. You probably got anxiety. My you know oldest, my oldest has got that, that social anxiety after, you know, I mean like, Oh yeah, she bet. was, yeah. you know, kind of like in that preteen, you know, mm-hmm. you're growing into, you know, a young woman and right. all that shit happened. And then my youngest, you know, she hated doing the virtual stuff and, She's more like me. She's very social butterfly. You stick her in a room with a bunch of strangers and they'll all be best friends by the end of the night. Yeah. And that's how I am. My my oldest is the complete opposite of that. Yeah. You know, and she's she still struggles with it. We think of how hard it would have made it for you and maybe not necessarily if you're more of the social butterfly type, but like when I was an awkward preteen teen. Like, and then I would have had to go to school virtually. One, I wouldn't have learned shit because I wouldn't have held myself accountable to learn anything. And nope. two, I would have been that much more 
anxious and nervous to be around other people again because I wouldn't know how to act. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I would have issues with that. So I can understand why kids would too. Ricky Bobby. I don't, I don't know. What do I do with my hands? <laughs> Shake and bite. Yeah. I was also thinking of the, uh, like the hug and stepbrothers, like at the end where Derek and um, uh, Brennan finally <laughs> hug each other. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he hugs him and then he, yeah. he tells him to get away from yeah. him and right after him hugging him because he doesn't stuff. know yeah. how to deal with the positive, yeah. the positive uh, affirmation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I also want to talk about a couple of the things that we found that anxiety can cause. And now this is also according to this article we found on mayoclinic.org. So some of the things that anxiety, if untreated, can lead into is it can cause depression uh, or other mental health disorders. It can cause substance misuse, like I would mentioned earlier with weed. Uh, trouble sleeping, digestive or bowel problems, headaches, chronic pain, social isolation, problems functioning at school or work, poor quality of life, and suicide. So, yeah, I mean, anxiety, if left untreated, obviously I could see how it could turn into a lot of that kind of stuff, which is why it's so good to try to get ahead of it by being preventative. Yes. Brad, what did you find on uh, how to be preventative? Get help early. Yeah. Stay active. Yep. Um, and avoid alcohol and drug use. Well, like again, staying active, it's everything. Yep. It's everything for like most mental health disorders. Like is being active, is doing something with your body because we're just, I don't think we're meant to be sedentary creatures that just sit around, especially if you have shit on your mind, then the worst thing for me to do is just sit around and think about it. You know what I mean? But so some other tips to combating anxiety, and this is according to mind.org, they suggest talking to somebody that you trust, uh, trying to manage your worries, looking after your physical health again by being active, trying breathing exercises. If you remember one of the early episodes we had with Melanie or the first episode she was on, she ran us through all these different breathing exercises that really work for things like anxiety. Um, Try peer support. So like finding a peer support group, finding other people that understand. Obviously, if it is starting to affect your life, look into consulting a professional. Uh, and the other one in here, it said was keeping a diary. I, I don't, I always feel weird about that. Like keeping a diary. I don't know if it's just like a masculine thing or whatever, but I do agree. It's like the same thing, but it just sounds like, I like writing shit down. I will write shit down. I will write notes to myself. I was gonna say, if you just change the name, like I call it journaling. Like I did that for a while and it really does help. Yeah. That, but, and you, you don't start everything with Dear Diary. Well, no, but I started with Dear Journal. Dear Journal. <laughs> I think it's important to write stuff down because it's important to reflect on your thoughts. Yeah. And it's hard for you to reflect on how you're thinking or feeling about something. And, and I've said this before, like when I get into uh, arguments with my wife, one of the things that we found to be productive uh, for us is like if we write our stuff down instead of just being emotionally charged and arguing, we'll like write our stuff down. We'll try to wait a little bit and then we'll reread it to ourselves. And if it still sounds legit, then we'll send it to the other person. So they get a chance to read it. So like writing, because you have to put a lot of thought into it. You have to put some thought into it and you have to try to take emotions out of it. I think so. I mean, it makes sense why writing is a good idea. Well, I I wouldn't recommend writing if you're visually impaired because then you go back to reread it and guess what? Looks a little messed up. A little bit. <laughs> what about, do you type? Do you, do, do you keep any sort of notes to yourself? No, How do you do it? I do. I have um, 
Voice like, recorder. That, there's yeah. that, but I have these like thick markers where it's like basically it looks like a sharpie, but it doesn't like bleed through. And I have paper with thick lines on it. Okay. So I'm able to, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. What else do you guys do to deal with anxiety if you've ever dealt with it? I, I, I'm not a fan of the VA and I, mm-hmm. I am very adamant about not trusting them. I feel like they're a bunch of pill pushers, mm-hmm. but I went through a program, cognitive behavioral therapy through the VA. And maybe I was just the lucky one that got a really good doctor, <laughs> but she was amazing. Yeah. You know, something that should have been, I think it was supposed to be six to eight weeks lasted a little longer. I had a, I had COVID during that time. I mm. caught COVID. So I just wasn't, didn't have the energy, Yeah, but man, the way that, you know, it's basically retraining your brain yes. for certain situations, you know, and for those out there listening, I, as a corpsman, I wouldn't treat my Marines with something I wouldn't treat myself with. Yeah. I would, if a Marine came up to me and asked me and told me they were having these problems, my first thing to tell them would be, Get in touch with your head doctor at the VA and tell them you want to get enrolled into the cognitive behavioral therapy because it changed my entire outlook, not just on life, but just on myself and my kids and my wife. I mean, it's everyday type uses, not just, you know, PTSD related or anxiety related, just everything. It's not, it doesn't just focus on one thing. It does help you focus on certain situations that you may have experienced that's causing a lot of problems but this com this uh, the cognitive behavioral therapy amazing like what about it was so beneficial to you do you think maybe because i am a corpsman yeah i i you know medical stuff interests me yeah you know that was probably a big part of it but it was just learning how to train your brain yeah you know do you want to be that guy that just sits in his basement all day or do you want to go out and be productive in society? Right. You know, and have friends. Well, you don't even have to say friends, people that you work with that you can work with without coming off as an asshole. Right. You know, I mean, like there's just certain things that for me, you know, like I hated going into restaurants that were full and right. that changed my way of thinking and how to change it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like it was just, it was an experience that was amazing. You know, it was not like, the the death by powerpoints and how to treat PTSD or how to treat anxiety and this is what you're gonna do, you know there was homework and you kind of had to force yourself to to write things down. Yeah. And when you write stuff down, you have to you're looking at it through your own words and through your own eyes and it's forcing you to see you know look in the mirror essentially. And, and and it it brought a lot of things to light for me. Yeah. And it like man, it it changed my whole life after that. I feel like if you were to, and you tell me if this is just a shitty analogy, but it's like if you had no idea how to navigate around a gym, you would get a trainer, and that trainer would take you around the gym, show you how to use everything, show you what to do, show you the exercises based on what you need, and they'd make you feel comfortable about navigating your way around the gym, right? Like nobody. It, for most people, nobody probably ever taught you or told you how to navigate through your thoughts and feelings. Like parents are supposed to, yep. but does it get done all the time? Probably not, right? So if you don't know how to navigate through your own fucking brain, yeah, what do you do? Who do you talk to? You need to do something. You need to talk to a professional, a trainer of some kind who can show you 
This is what this thought is. This is what this feeling is. This is why you're feeling it. This is how we use it. This is how we we move around it. So, I mean, I've always been such an advocate of therapy in general because that's what it's meant to me. Like whether it's individual therapy, couples therapy, all that kind of shit. Like I've been about it. I did EMDR when I got into an accident and that helped retrain my brain and not being, not getting anxious when I would get into a car again, because I got hit by a work truck once and it did a pit maneuver on me and I like flipped around to the front of it and it was on 94 and it pushed me down the fucking interstate. And after that, I would get so much anxiety sitting in my car driving. If a car would even start to creep into my lane, like if it even get close, I would like start getting the heart palpitations, like freaking out and stuff. And EMDR, uh, that really helped me out like therapy, of any kind, as long as you find the one that works for you. I, I couldn't agree more. Yep. Well, if you think about it like a like a ball of, you know, like you make ball of rubber bands, mm-hmm. you know, and inside there's a core. Or if you want to look at it like a baseball, you had a baseball sitting right there. You know, there's so much from the core out. You know, where's the first step in creating this baseball? Well, if you relate this to like a PTSD issue, you talk yeah. about how you were in the MRAP. Mm-hmm. You hit an IED. A lot of guys have problems with that afterwards because... They're driving down the roads and they see trash or tires or whatever yep. else on the side of the road, you know, so they have a tendency to veer towards the middle of the road or drive down the middle of the road. You know, it's the cognitive behavioral therapy that I was talking about starts from the beginning, you know, and it eventually gets to the end and it helps you deconstruct all of that yeah. and the why and the how that you feel. And it's not, it's not like a you know, a plug and play, you know, cause right. everybody like you talked about has a different experience. Well, this cognitive behavioral therapy takes any experience that you could possibly have and it helps you deconstruct that and kind of re mold your brain into the way to think for, to make you healthier Yeah, to lessen that anxiety. Does yeah. it go away? No, it's, I don't think it will ever go away for anybody, but it's going to help tremendously. And I also think, to continue with your point, you know, therapy not that long ago was looked at in a very negative light. Like, oh, you need to go talk to a therapist. We were watching the other day. What was it? Uh, Twister. I was talking yeah. about this before. So right now, my oldest daughter loves storms and she wants to watch a movie Twister. Solid movie. Still holds up today. Great movie. But in it, Bill Paxton's girlfriend is a therapist. Rest in peace, Bill. Yeah, I was about to say that. R.I.P. Bill. The goat. He was one of the best. He was killed by an alien and by a predator and also in outer space. But he's the only dude to get killed by both the alien and the predator, Bill Paxton. But his girlfriend in Twister uh, was a therapist. And they make like all they make a few comments about, oh, therapists talking about feeling like it was it was negative then if you were a therapist. But now if you get into the veteran community at all, look at the special operations community, the alphas of the alphas of the alphas, right? And what are they doing? They are balls deep into therapy, yep. into alternative therapies, into psychedelics, like all this stuff. When they're talking about these treatments that are out now, MDMA and psilocybin and and whether it's CM, uh, CBT, EMDR, uh, I think it's ART, accelerated resolution therapy, another very interesting therapy that's out there. 
they're at the head of it and they're talking about it now. And you're seeing these people that we used to think were, oh, these people don't have problems. These are the alpha alphas. Like, no, they're out there getting help, too. They're yeah. out there trying to figure that shit out. Like, it's so important and it's so nice to see that it's starting to become normalized, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah. Like, I talk openly about it. I don't give a shit. Like, if I'm like, oh, my therapist told me this and I thought it was really productive. It helped me out in a way. And I'm telling you because I hope it'll help you out, too. Oh, yeah. Like, it's nice to hear those types of things, I think, you know. Um, but other than that, uh, as far as how else we deal with anxiety or anxiety in general, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to say? Any other thoughts about it? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Just over an hour. Not too bad. Yeah. Ty, did you have anything else you wanted to say, man? I guess, you know, I, I think the only thing that you got to remember is that, you know, I hate to say the, the cliche, but you're not alone out there. Yep. You know, every, th there's tons of people that deal with anxiety and much, much more. If all you're dealing with is anxiety, then, you know, that's actually you know, a good thing, yeah. you know, and that's something that can be, you know, when we say treated, doesn't mean that you're going to have to take pills to treat your anxiety. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's got to be really driven home to a lot of these guys is because when we first came home, it was pills, pills, pills. Yeah. And now they're seeing, you know, all the problems that are causing from it. And now it's more of a, well, let's see what we can do outside of just giving you a bunch of pills. Yeah, I found also one of the most beneficial things for me in treating like my anxiety and everything else was being mindful. Uh, I, I've heard a lot about meditating. I've always heard a lot about meditating. And I know Brad has some positive experience with, yes. with meditating, right? Oh, yeah. But for me, I, I just have a really hard time sitting still. Like I have a really hard time just sitting in a space and just closing my eyes. But it, in my opinion, like going to the gym for me is meditating. I have my headphones on. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm thinking about whatever I want to work through in my head. I'm picking up the heaviest thing I can pick up and I'm doing it as many times as I can by myself. And then I'm putting it back down. Like I'm getting my Zen. I'm, I'm finding my, my, my plane of enlightenment by just being in that moment. But then I found a book by Thich Nhat Hanh. He was a monk. Uh, he passed actually a few years ago, I think. And it was called You Are Here. And it was a very good book. And he talks about how important it is to do like walking meditations is what he does. So he would like walk and he would just think to himself, I'm breathing in. I'm breathing out. Stepping with my left foot. Stepping with my right foot. And he would think that's it. And so I went to a local farm, Perry Farm, and I would do that. And I would do that every once in a while. And if you do that, it's hard to not feel a little better for whatever reason. You're, I think it's just because it's like you're clearing out your head a little bit. Like I'm thinking about what's in the moment, what's right in front of me. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm thinking about my breathing. I'm thinking about my steps. And those were always ways to calm me down. Cause like I've never calmed in. Well, no, I have. I, whenever it comes to dealing with somebody that's like panicking, like what's the worst thing you can do? Don't panic. Like no <laughs> shit. Like I, if I could do that, I wouldn't be in this place right now. But I feel like whenever I've dealt with anybody panicking by just being very calm and talking to them, like they will start to mimic your appearance. Like if I'm not like, if I'm like, Oh, don't panic. Like, yeah, they're going to continue to fucking freak out. But if I'm like, Hey, just breathe with me. Or sometimes you don't even say that you just breathe in and breathe out 
to the other person and they're they're just watching you especially in a traumatic state where they're freaking out like and they can't do anything else they're just locking on to you and just by breathing slowly it starts to calm them down so i mean i think doing and incorporating things like that in your life or trying to have those moments where you can do that is super super important and it's helped me I think it's helped me. And meditating's helped you out too, Brad, right? Very much so, yes. You're a big fan. I but am. How I do you do it? The conventional way? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I have an app. I think it was like 70 bucks. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But it just has guided meditation. And I just sit in a dark room, close my eyes, and I usually sit up. Yeah. It's been it's been a while. I'm not going to lie. It's, I haven't done it in a while. kind of fell off a little bit. But it's okay. It was a great way to start my day. It's very cool, man. It would, yeah. It was, it was, it was good. I got to get back on that, on the train. Puppy yoga. Puppy yoga. I mean, for those singles guys out there, I mean, yeah, yoga classes you get, in general. You get puppies who doesn't like dogs, and then yep. you know, you watch enough TikTok, you can see a lot of women out there that are attractive that mm-hmm. like puppies too and do yoga. Puppy yoga. Well, like yoga used to also was something that was kind of like balked at. Have you seen goat yoga? Yes, I have. Uh, my wife's participated at it. Shout out to our my friend who's also a marine, Craig Zellhart. He owns a farm, Wild Hearts Farm. They do goat yoga. Goat out there. yoga looks like fun. Yeah, yeah, they do it out there. You know, people, you think about yoga and you think all the stretching and all that garbage. Yeah. It's like you can look at it like that. <laughs> all that garbage, yeah. trash. Yeah. Fuck you and your stretching. <laughs> but if you think about it, you're adding, you know, something that brings that, you know, I forget what the term is, but you know that happiness. Yeah. You know that you got puppies or goats. Right. You know. Yep. So now all of a sudden you're stretching at the same time you're watching these goats climb yeah. all over people or on you. And you are completely in the zone and you don't even realize it. Yeah. You know, you are just kind of, you, you're relaxed. You don't think about nothing. It's just, you're there in the moment, you know? And, and that to me, I've always, I've wanted to try the puppy yoga because yeah. I love dogs. Yeah. You know, and it, it's like, and I have, you know, and I could probably use a stretcher too here or there and, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's one, but it's to me, the thought behind it, you know, is not just the regular yoga, you know, it's not just something for you know, hippies and chicks, you know, I mean, there's stuff out there that, you know, you can get involved with, with, yeah, I'm like, I'm telling, I'm telling you, man, yoga with puppies. I'd love to do that. Well, not only that, but it's like, if you're somebody like me, so my wife has been doing yoga for a long time. She's phenomenal at it. I'm not as, I'm not very good. Like I, I, I try to stretch and I've gone and shit, but like, I think I'd pay to see you do yoga. 20 bucks is 20 bucks, my friend. <laughs> Next episode. So uh i for me like goat yoga or puppy yoga or whatever would also be enticing because then it's like okay well at least people are just paying attention to me fuck up all these poses and stuff because my wife you know i have significant back issues joints and stuff but my back is really at the at the focal point of my pain and like my wife would tell me all the time come do yoga come do yoga and always i was like now i I had that negative you can also fart and it's it's accepted that in yoga yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i sometimes you think about I how just, relaxed you are and just hold it all in all week and you just let just it go to, go to yoga class yeah. and that's what, it's just my opportunity <laughs> that's why i go to yoga is to do that dude i don't even hold in my farts anymore that's because you're married <laughs> that's because care. you're married yeah but i think that like when i first did yoga for the first time i realized how beneficial it was very quickly yeah. i realized that one it was it wasn't easy <laughs> and oh two, no definitely not super beneficial my back felt way better everything feels way better like i totally understand why it's such an important and a great thing to do and to do it with animals present i think just adds like a level of mindfulness while taking away some of the intimidation that somebody might have into going so it totally makes sense why that would be a really cool beneficial thing to do i like that 
But uh, so before we wrap up, does anybody else have anything else that they wanted to add as far as uh, issues that they've had with anxiety, ways that they've dealt with it, what anybody else should do if they're feeling the same way? Feel pretty good. Brad, yeah. you want to give us an update on the Appalachian Trail? Yeah, I was just going to say I would recommend walking. Yes. And that was going to segue into the, the Appalachian Trail, which we had... We did have to push back a little bit. It's okay. With planning and things. Um, you wanted to start in Georgia. I did. In August. I'm done. Or in July. <laughs> and then we talked to my buddy, Caleb, who uh, has done the Appalachian Trail a bunch. You've obviously never been to Georgia during that time period. <sighs> nope. <laughs> and, and my buddy, uh, Caleb, he's done the Appalachian Trail like a handful of times, and he was just like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. Like, you're going to start in Georgia yeah. in the summer? You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. Had to make a couple of tweaks. Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. So what are we looking at? What are you thinking? I'm not sure for time frame yet, but yeah. we have, I have ordered my gear. Yep. I've got my gear. Good. Um, I believe we might, we're trying to work on some sponsorships possibly. Yep. 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 So yeah, it's, uh, I, before my wife's like, you suck at planning. I can't believe like her, she was talking to her grandma and her grandma's like, Hey, why aren't you on your, uh, your hiking trip? And my wife's like, cause they don't know how to plan. <laughs> Well, I, I asked you about it, and I was like, "Yo, man, so like, what's the plan here?" And you're like, "Ah." I was like, "Dude, I'm just gonna, gonna get go some... out there and walk. I'm gonna buy a tent, uh, and a bag, and we're gonna go." And then I pulled up the interactive map, yeah, and I started fucking around on that because I'm like, "Dude, we gotta plan this out. Like, yeah, this... we have, a, have to have a full mission planning session here to make sure that we know where it's gonna go, like how many miles are gonna be done each day, where the rest point's gonna be, are guys gonna be linking up, and if so, where uh the emergency routes if something happens and like making sure that we get all that stuff figured out. Yeah. How much gear we're carrying on us, all that kind of stuff. But it's still gonna happen. Oh yeah. And and not only that, but it also you doing that inspired another one of our guys uh to the point that he wants to do an overnight ruck. I think in September this year, we're, yeah. we're going to do, I think it's 12 miles a day for two days. Uh, and we want to get Brad out there with us. You're going to be with there with us so we can start the training as far as like what you're going to be doing on the Appalachian trail. Yep. And then, yeah, if, if anybody's interested in sponsoring and here's this episode and wants to sponsor Brandon on his journey, just make sure you reach out to us and hit us up. But uh, I'm very glad. I'm very glad you had to make a couple of changes. I did. But this is still better than the first idea, in my opinion, which is where you wanted to hitchhike across the country. And I didn't want to hitchhike, dude. I wanted to walk. I wanted to get a cart. I wanted someone to drop me off on Route 66 and Juliet. And I wanted to walk across yeah. the country with my cart. It would be my cart and my stick. And it was going to be great. <laughs> I don't know how well that would have went. Did you hear about the hitchhiking robot? I know. Uh -uh. So... This is maybe not the proudest moment for us as a country, or maybe it is. So there was a robot that hitchhiked across like all of Europe and they brought it to uh, America to hitchhike and they dropped it off at, on like the East Coast around New York City or some shit. I don't remember. You'd have to look it up here, but it made it, I think, a hundred miles into the country. <laughs> it made it to Philadelphia. <laughs> And they found the robot in a back alley and it had it just got the shit beaten out of it. Ew. It was missing its parts. 
any of the copper was probably ripped out and sold on cinder blocks bro like (laughs) it was like this happy hitchhiking robot and they they were like let's go to hitchhike across america think again motherfuckers like they should have started with canada bro i was just like yeah there's no way that robot was gonna make it very far so like hitchhiking across this country (laughs) this just goes right into the like i don't start in new york i have no idea baptism by fire i don't know i mean i guess i could see like you know you want to start in california where all those tree huggers are at and make your way east you probably have a better shot at making it yeah i I don't know man well uh, that'd be a closer flight though from europe be right there to new york yeah i suppose yeah yeah it was cold sorry go ahead no i was gonna say this just falls into the planning like i suck at planning stuff i was gonna walk across the country (laughs) not even thinking about like oh there's weirdos out there i was like nope i'm going dude people love blind people i'm out (laughs) so the hitch bot as it was called (coughs) excuse me successfully hitchhiked across all of canada germany and the netherlands but in 2015 its attempt to hitchhike across the united states ended when it was stripped and decapitated <laughs> in philadelphia <laughs> why are you gonna take the head off a robot man why are you gonna, what are you gonna do with it like just <laughs> like that's america man that's also why i don't feel like another any other country could ever really fuck with us because you think when you get out here it's still the wild west assholes like yep. it, you can't be the hitchhike you can't even be hitchbot so you do like the were you gonna do like the whole Forrest Gump thing and just I'll just keep running and yeah. running? Except I was gonna walk. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying yeah. to see, dude. I, I, okay. So my thing was, I was like, I need to find something that's gonna give me worth, and that was the very first thing I, I was like, dude, I'll just walk across the country. That's I mean, you got awesome. the Forrest, you got the Forrest Gump look going on right now, as it is, you know. That's a good point. That's what I'm going for when he was done running. Yeah, I'm kind of face and the beard. <laughs> I think I'll go home now. <laughs> it's such a great movie because it, it really has is. everything in it. It does. I think that. You needed something. You yeah. wanted to do something for yourself. Part of it was this podcast, right? Yeah. Part and of this, it was this podcast. Yeah. But you needed that to do. That I've been making to be on. And here you are. Yeah. I don't think you've ever mentioned wanting to oh, be on. I, I would have had you on the first episode. Get the fuck out of here. I think that uh, everybody needs something to like give them purpose or kind of validate not necessarily validate because i'm not trying to say that you're validating your existence by doing something but you have to prove some shit to yourself everybody has to prove something to themselves especially if you feel like you have to and for this that's what this is especially as a veteran and especially as being part of the visually impaired community yeah that i feel like i've had a lot taken away from me so. Yeah, for sure. And like in your journey and education, and all this stuff, the people that have told you that you can't do this and can't do that. Like I've told you before, man, fuck them. Like yeah. You got to do whatever you want to do. You know, so whether it's this or something else. When you're just talking about like what you can and can't do, you know, like in my head as a corpsman, all I could think about was, man, all the safety issues as a blind man trying to do the Appalachian Trail. And I'm going, Dan, are you sure? Yeah. Right. You, you know, right. you, you snakes, you can't see snakes, man. <laughs> right. You and know, that, or and that's what we talked about. That's why, yeah. from like a safety perspective, when Brad was talking about he would want to have at least one person with him at all times, I was like, it needs to be two, it needs yeah. to be at least two. Because if if we're walking with him and you break your leg, right? You know what I'm saying? We need another person that can make sure that something happens. Like, so yeah, that's definitely a concern too. There's some other options out there also, like Everesting. We looked into yeah. uh, which happens around the country, which is where you act like you're climbing Mount Everest by going up to the top excuse me, going up to the top of a mountain. Um, there's like three locations in, in, in North America, I think. I think so, yeah. And like you go up to the top, 
then you come back down and you keep doing it until you would have achieved whatever it would take to do Everest. Mm -hmm. And that would be another cool thing to do. It would. But this was something that you wanted to do. And so I think, you know, you you need to be able to prove to yourself no matter how long it fucking takes. Yeah. And I think you're going to have plenty of support yeah. in doing it. You know well, I, I, mean? I would like to, This is if this goes well, hopefully it doesn't take 20 years. I can right. also do the Rocky Mountain Trail. Oh, hell yeah. That'd, dude, be, that'd pretty be cool. cool. Yeah, but I think I'd, you know, I'm from the South in North Carolina. I think the Rocky Mountain Trail would probably be, that would be my first choice. Yeah. Really? I think so. I mean, I'm not a big cold weather guy, hmm. but you know, you do it in the, that springtime, you know, like maybe, you know, late spring, yeah. early summer and where you can see a lot of that stuff, man, I'd be all about that. Mm, can I see a lot of this stuff though? I don't know. Well, I mean, awkward. I'll, I'll describe it for you. Don't We're going to be up there. Look at how beautiful. Look at how beautiful you everything guys suck. is. I was like, fuck you guys. You're just tapping he, the tree the one that stick. finds it, you know, a dinosaur bone. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it'll yeah, be by accident. Over. Yeah. I'll just hit it with my stick. <laughs> But I think it'll be good, and yeah. it's really good to just show yourself you can do shit, especially when you've had people in your life tell you you can't do anything, yeah, or you can't do a specific thing. Like fuck them, you yep. know what I mean? But uh, but no, so that is uh, that's all I have for today. So again, uh, Ty, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank again, you. Let me be part of it. Absolutely, I'll if, be here anytime you guys need it. Hell yeah, we'll definitely have Ty back on. Um, if you got any questions for him, again, like I said, check out his TikTok uh, dot the underscore doc um and if you have any other questions for us obviously reach out to us on the on the page and i also want to thank our sponsors one more time a huge thank you to smart local 265 kaz cauliflower pizza and thank you to our partner trio so here uh for now if you have any anything else or need anything you know where to find us thank you again for listening and until next time